1: Jacob Marley, is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to.
0: I saw three ships come sailing On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So I saw Eternals. That was pretty good. Uh, did you see that yet? Or you? No,
1: I'm it? I'm super behind on Marvel stuff. I haven't even finished Captain uh, America: Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, whatever it is, the Captain America show yet.
0: I mean, it's a podcast, so they don't see what shirt I'm wearing. But I am <laughs> wearing John. What am I wearing right now?
1: You got that Star Spangled uh, Shield going on there. Dude,
0: I I I'm a patriot, man. I might be a leftist pinko commie, but I'm also a patriot. So wrap that one around your heads, people. And well, I feel I, like uh,
1: Captain America is like a symbol of that right now. I mean, mm-hmm. right? I, I feel like he's sort of been co opted by the left for like the good America or whatever.
0: Steve, Steve Rogers has been woke since day one. Okay, yeah, like yeah. okay, barring the version of him in the 1950s that fought communism as the commie smasher, Captain America. Um, which was not Steve Rogers. It turned out that that was a man um, who went underwent uh, plastic surgery to look like Steve Rogers. How about that? And that is how we got into that whole mess there. And so, cause that was, there was a whole team in the seventies. It was like, okay, we got to make it all one continuity. We got to do it. So we got to justify all the bad versions of things. And it worked. And yeah, and so Steve Rogers has been woke since day one. He was fighting Nazis before it was cool. Um, he, literally, he was fighting them in 1940 uh, or 1941 uh, early on in the year, though. And they got hate mail for it. They really they got people saying, like, you're going to start a war. It was like, no, they're the enemy. We got to go beat these guys the hell up. And then Nixon, Watergate, he became Nomad. Re- the, the Reagan administration they wanted him to be like a prop for them and he was like he resigned and that's where you get the guy who's in Falcon and the Winter Soldier is introduced in that storyline yeah and he's always the one to fight for the little guy and he stands up for what America could be rather than its government wherever it is at that time and he is the best version of himself which may be this <laughs> version of a christmas carol.
1: Yes. Oh, Get we're back, there. baby. We are back. Woo! Oh, the, I was like here it comes. I can <laughs> yeah, feel it coming. I saw, I it was can, like it was like when you're out on the ocean and you feel that wave coming that you're just going to ride right into the shore and you know this is the one you're going to catch. <laughs> oh yeah. A beautiful thing.
0: I mean, I don't know because I almost drowned like five times in the ocean because I can't <laughs> swim worth a damn. But I know what you kind of mean. I saw it on your face while I was getting it, though, John. Yeah. I, I was like, I like, oh, he, Jimmy's going to do it. He's doing it. He's doing it. I was like, yes.
1: Well, uh, welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a podcast where we talk about the storied history of Captain America. But mostly we talk about A Christmas Carol. And boy, howdy, are we talking about a Christmas Carol tonight, James.
0: Woo! This one is amazing. I, yeah, I, I am your sidekick, James, and this is... I can't, I don't want to get into spoilers because we're we're just going to go through it, but, like, we've already gone through it because we've gone through the novella. Like, we yeah, went through yeah. the novella, we went through this movie, and yet this movie still is able to add a little bit here, add a little bit there, and we're reviewing an amazing version of A Christmas Carol Today. And those are my favorite episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're always so much fun. So we've got a lot to talk about. And we're we're uh, coming back to this after uh, almost three months of not recording. We haven't really recorded an episode since like the end of August. So these uh, very long uh, Bill Murray and Scrooged episodes that have come out in the last couple of weeks, those we recorded like way back before uh, the start of the school year. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy got real busy with, uh, just six different things that happened in life, all at the same time. I got busy with kids and school, and uh, but it's the holiday season, so we're trying to to bring ourselves back here.
0: We, you know, we got to finish strong here. We got to do this right. We're not gonna. We we want to do. We set out with a certain goal, and we are going to do that right now with these episodes that we're going to review because we are reviewing George C. Scott's A Christmas Carol, and oh my gosh talk about i mean i i almost just want to get straight into it cuz we're going to yeah. gush the yeah. whole time through yeah yeah but just to, to just a, like a little beginning i'm not I'm just like using hyperbole this is maybe the best direct interpretation of the text maybe it doesn't get the exact you know the messaging across as well as some more poetic interpretations or somebody with who with a different twist or something here and there right maybe it's not the most Uh, Consumer friendly, right? Because it's maybe a better book than it is something on film. Honest, you know? Yeah. But this is the text on film.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It truly
1: is. Well, okay. This came out in uh, uh, 1984. Um, It is. Kind of like a joint American and British production. Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe it had a theatrical release in Great Britain. In America, it was on, uh, if I remember correctly, CBS. I I think it aired on CBS.
0: I think that's right. Let's look that up. Um,
1: while Jimmy's looking it up, it was directed by Clive Donner, who was kind of like a new wave British director in like the 60s and 70s. Um, he's known for like a lot of things, probably most, um, I guess the thing with the most name recognition aside from this would be What's New Pussycat with Richard O'Toole. Wow. I, I've never seen that movie. Have you? No, 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 I certainly have not. Yeah, so like Jimmy was saying, it's like a pretty straightforward, like we are going to take the text and bring it to screen um, as accurately as possible. But I do think what you were saying is also true, that it it kind of does bring its um, its own nuances that I think really elevate it above some of the other more recent adaptations that we've watched.
0: Well, there's definitely one person who's really laying in some interesting choices here, and we'll get into that because... And that—that's the main course right here, as it yeah. is with most versions. But we'll get into that when we go into
1: the tip yeah. In the yeah. Movie. Uh One more fun fact about Clive Donner before we start—he uh, was an editor on the 1951 film with cool. uh, Alistair Sim. So this would be uh, like at least his second kind of of. A- uh, uh approach to this story and i do think we see some alistair sim dna in both the the approach to this the way that um scrooge in particular is portrayed mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that
0: i was getting those vibes as well and uh just to confirm yes it was produced and broadcast on for cbs uh december 17th 1984 mm-hmm. Now I have the David Bowie song 1984 in my head.
1: Let's get to the movie. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, So we got a a lot to talk about here. So um, this is Jacob Marley is dead, and we're talking about 1984 as a Christmas
2: Carol in those ships
0: all three on christmas day on christmas day and one was in those ships all three on christmas day in the morning
1: uh, we open on a shot of a street in Shropshire. This was shot on location in Shropshire, England, which is like a like a small town. I think it's like seventy one thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a preserved market town from like the medieval ages. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's very
0: beautiful. I mean, it's got everything that makes it feel authentic because it is. Yeah, uh, but it also doesn't feel quite as. Because it's a town as clean as some sets would.
1: Yeah, I would. I, I I had the thought looking at some of these scenes that we talked about, like the high production value in the Guy Pierce version, and how like we'd nev- I'd never thought we'd see something that high quality, and I'd kind of forgotten like how authentic the production in this version was.
0: Yeah, I'd never seen this version, or if I had, it it was lost in my memory. Yeah, this one holds up. I yeah. mean, yeah, it was. Great for 1984 on production wise, the costumes, the sets, the lighting, actually, we'll get into that more on, but like that all holds up and, but it actually holds up today as well. I mean, not as well as certain other pieces and certain techniques or whatever, but man, this is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um so we start off with actually like this sort of eerie music. There's like a, a funerary bell playing, right? There's a carriage going through the the streets of foggy London town.
0: I'm not doing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and and this like really eerie music, and then we get the the opening narration line, Old Marley was dead. I think Fred is the narrator in this version.
0: Yeah, Fred's the narrator, and we'll get to his performance when he enters the scene.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the yeah. way.
0: I'm really going to be liking that. Okay.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. Um,
0: But he, he delivers the line. It was pretty well said. And we get these amazing little cutaway shots as over this narration of like little acts in London, like in the marketplace, like there's like a goose coming down for on a string. There's these children playing around the the band that's coming out of the fog, which really sets the ghost feel of the story early on, which is always great with, marley's dead is a great opening line but visually connecting that to something also eerie and mysterious yeah that's great too
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's really good uh the theme song of this movie is uh is the song it's actually called a christmas carol it was written for this movie Mm. um but it's written in the style of like an old-fashioned um kind of like christmas carol almost like uh you know our, our theme song i saw right. three ships or, or or one of those and it, that sort of tells some of the story of this guy who was like uh, kind of uh uh an angry person who only goes to church on christmas day and like asking you know god for mercy and to change his heart so it like sort of tells some of the themes of the story in the song which i thought was cool
0: There's a lot of songs like that around the holidays. Like, I mean, of course, redemption songs are a big part of it. But like, I was just singing the other day the Baker Dozen song. You ever hear that one?
1: Uh, maybe.
0: It, it's weird. It's about a guy who's got a bakery on Broadway. Once a old woman comes in, wants an extra one for a baker's dozen. He's like, "No, take your twelve Santa Claus cookies and get out of here." Santa Claus shows up after his bakery's gone to crap because the woman cursed him, and he's like, "During the holiday season." Be giving to people. <laughs> and the whole song, the guy's like, dude, I just, I got a bakery. I can't give away rolls, but fine because she cursed me and it's Christmas. Here's an extra cookie. And that's how we get baker dozens.
1: Holy mackerel. Um, it's, it's,
0: there's a lot of songs around the holidays <laughs> that are weird, folks.
1: So we get a lot of, um, like jimmy was saying a lot of setup um we see sort of the the clockwork toys in the toy window that that we see a lot in other versions like this um and then we cut over to the counting house mm. where where bob cratchit is looking out the window and you know Because he clearly doesn't want to have his job anymore is like it was seven years ago today that Jacob Marley died, sir. And this is not the Scrooge that you want to play around with. I think in this way,
0: no, this is no nonsense, Scrooge. This is this is a Scrooge that will fire.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, one hundred. He will fire
0: you one hundred percent, and Bob knows it but he doesn't really care that much.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like low self-preservation.
0: Yeah. He, I feel like he has some self worth this Bob. Like he's Mm -hmm. got some, like I'll, I'll get another job. I'm making good money enough that I'll suck it up here. Like I'm not making that much and we'll see that later on, but like I can get by and it's a little bit of a risk, but I'm going to speak my mind a little bit here and there and I'm going to clap my hands in a minute. So just watch out.
1: Yeah. And this is a, Powerhouse duo of actors in this scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll talk about George C. Scott in a second and all of the ways in which he takes this movie from like a ten to a twelve. Mm-hmm. But David Warner as Bob Cratchit is also probably one of the best Bob Cratchit casting choices we've ever seen. It's
0: it, I'm angry that it it didn't land until I saw it how great of a choice that was because I see him more as a villain. I definitely. Mean, he, He's been in like a great villain in so many things, but when he does play a sympathetic character, when he plays the underdog, he does droopy dog face better Mm -hmm, than anybody. mm -hmm. Hang dog. That's what they call it. And he does that. And it is, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but he's still because of the way he presents himself and the confidence that he does have. He can, he he doesn't look like a pushover and as much of a joke as other cratchits. And it's great.
1: Yeah, it's a really really tight balance. So David Warner for I mean, he uh is I'm trying to think what he's probably best known for. Narrate a
0: voiceover work in most things. I mean, a uh, lot of
1: voiceover work, yeah. I mean, um, Trekkies uh he's he's in um uh undiscovered country he's also like the uh we get a little connection to patrick stewart here because he in next generation is like the cardassian that tortures uh picard in the there are four lights episode
2: there are four lights
0: (laughs) worst patrick stewart ever
1: (laughs) yeah it wasn't wasn't great i will say that um he was also did you know this that he was supposed to be the original freddy krueger
0: yeah that makes sense i mean he was a villain in one of my favorite movies ever time after time oh
1: yeah i saw that on the list too
0: yeah have you seen time after time
1: uh so i haven't but you've told me about it but explain to our audience because it's very good
0: all right all right so hg wells in real life at during the time of jack the ripper which does line up Real, it does yeah.
2: line
0: up. Mm-hmm. Um, really invents the time machine and has a dinner party with a couple of well-to-do gentlemen and shows off the time machine. And they all joke at him and ahaha, it's not really gonna, you know, it's not real time machine. You just made a prop. Um, Jack the Ripper is one of those gentlemen at the party, and the police have followed him there. So Jack the Ripper uses the time machine to come to present present day. And he, and then the machine returns because it like needs a key or something. So H.G. Wells has to chase down Jack the Ripper in the year nineteen seventy something, and it's freaking awesome. It's uh, what's her name from Back to the Future Three? Mary, um,
1: uh, Steenburgen.
0: She play. She's in yeah. it. She's she's the audience like POV character dealing with these two time travelers.
1: She's sure, amazing.
0: Yeah. It's. John, we need to watch that movie. You really, I yeah, mean, like,
1: yeah, like- yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so uh, David Warner as Bob Cratchit is great, and then we have George C. Scott, who, um, his Scrooge, which I'm sure we will talk about at length over the course of recording this, is, um, no nonsense. I mean, more no nonsense than any Scrooge we've seen. I think, including Alistair Sim, who I think was probably like. Would now be, I say, second place in terms of no nonsense Scrooges.
0: Yeah, Sims is up there, but this guy's like got a country mile in between him and Sims. Yeah,
1: super like, intimidating.
0: It's it's an it's it's contained rage.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Every
0: moment is a moment where this man just can go. Yeah, and it's beautiful and terrifying to watch.
1: And here's the thing, we've seen like grumpy Scrooges and we've seen sad Scrooges. I think he might be our first really like angry Scrooge. Like yeah. angry and bitter. Like
0: I mean, it's always a it's always the serpent eating its tail of despair mm-hmm. with Scrooge. Like that's yeah. the like, you know, he did it himself so he's mad at himself, but he can't really be honest about himself, but that's why he's upset with himself. Yeah. Here he's mad at
2: himself.
0: It is, he hates himself, and that pours out to the world. And it's, Scott is, I'm just looking at his face right now, freeze-framed. And even in this frame right here at the counting house, looking at Cratchit, it says everything. Everything about Mm -hmm. Scrooge in a way that I think most productions leave out, which Mm -hmm. is closer to the original intent
1: yeah yeah so he uh you know kind of has a snide remark about bob and then bob goes to fill the coal, like uh in the in the fireplace and (laughs) uh scrooge calls him over and is basically like uh uh you see this these are clothes Mm -hmm. clothes are something that can be worn time and time again uh meanwhile coal is costly so go sit down or i will fire you (laughs) And it's and but it's that practicality like he has this very like everything is this measured practical like let me explain every way I'm thinking all the time. In one moment, in one exchange, in one
0: quick monologue, George C. Scott explains accurately who Scrooge is more than 50 of George uh, I'm sorry of Guy Pierce's monologues oh, okay yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. like
0: this is this is show don't tell mm-hmm. and he's showing and telling but quickly
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: he's really getting it in there um so uh Fred comes in uh this is Roger Reese. As Fred, who, you know, has a lot of like kind of minor credits. He's kind of a small a small screen actor. Mm-hmm. He was, if I remember correctly, the sheriff of Nottingham in Men in Tights. That's probably what most people actually know him from. Yeah. Yeah. But he's been in a
0: lot of little things here and there mm-hmm. and had great character actor. Yeah. Solid in everything. Um, One of my favorite things, just the first thing that came to mind, so maybe other people as well. He was in the... the second half of season 4 of oz where he played oh, okay. he played a reporter a uh, one of those dateline i'm going to do the real rough stuff in the 90s cuz we're post history and we got to just analyze everything you know like yeah yeah so we got to c- get entertainment by doing stunts right like his stunt was i'm going to spend the night in a prison and that's the uh, episode of oz which is all set in a prison and he's amazing and i wish he was on more episodes yeah. the plays too good
1: so, so for, for like the theater friends we have that listen to this, he kind of like rose to fame playing Nicholas Nickleby in, get this, an eight hour long stage show. What? Four hours intermission for 15 minutes, four more hours, an eight hour stage production.
0: Was he paid by the minute? Like I
1: don't know. It was on it's on DVT, and I want to get a copy of it because I need to know like what that was like. It was apparently incredibly popular.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, cause if you go there and do the stupid eight hours, you better like it or you feel like a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I bet it was actually good, but nobody's gonna give that a bad review because then they're gonna feel I mean, unless it's the most Person like an uh, honest person would just hit their time being wasted. Like, what the hell is this? Eight hours? Yeah. yeah, yeah. At least Angels in America's two nights. Come on, man. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um his his uh Fred is great. I feel like his Fred is really good.
0: It's it, it's it's I don't say this a lot. So I'll get it out of the way now. These are great interpretations of all these characters. Yeah. And they they almost feel like stock because it's yeah. how accurate they are to the what they're to the roles that they're interpreting it's yeah.
1: amazing yeah i feel like basically every character we're going to be like and this is basically the the like platonic the tax- ideal of this character right um he comes in and the f- go ahead
0: the one thing i would say about him here though that's a little different is he's a little older than fred is normally or at least mm-hmm. he feels a little bit older so yeah. it's more of like a pure relationship with scrooge than a i mean it, there but you also get the sense that he's been beaten down by Scrooge yeah. because of his failed attempts as what he's about to do. Like, yeah. it's like, and that wears on him with his age.
2: Yeah.
1: and Which I think plays with how, how like hard this Scrooge is. Yeah. Um, The first thing he does is actually like go say hi to Bob and, and in a very familiar way, which I thought was like an interesting touch. And it does make me wonder, like, does he just come around at Christmas or is Fred popping in like all the time <laughs> enough that he kind of is on like, you first name terms with uh uh i don't know the clerk
0: maybe maybe he talks to fred more off maybe sorry maybe fred talks to bob more often to keep tabs on his uncle.
1: yeah well we do know also that i think they go to the same church so it's possible that they interact there which is interesting
0: well that's a good i mean that's a good shout and also it's like towns were smaller like we were talking about uh, like and one version of Christmas Carol where there are people that would just know Scrooge. They, they would know yeah. of Scrooge yeah. because there's not that many, you don't go travel that far to get a, a, a bill uh, to get a loan, right? You go into right. the neighborhood. Right. So he's right.
1: known. Yeah. Um, so this interaction between them, I think is really strong. Uh, again, like George C. Scott is, is pretty angry, but there's also like, he finds a lot of perverse humor Right? Like he's yeah. very mocking I think compared to some other Scrooges that we've seen.
0: Well it's life's a joke because he yeah. failed and so he yeah. sees everything as making no sense mm-hmm. and so that's just that's that's what the cynics do. if They, they, they believe the world is nothing but a joke and so they're going to laugh at it because it is so freaking hilarious
1: here's an interesting thing they make a minor change to one of the lines so yep. you know that line where Scrooge always says like I'll see you in hell first before I mm-hmm. come to dinner yeah in this one Scrooge says I'll see myself in hell first which I think is very interesting it's like a little prescient like oh you will
0: <laughs> yep. right and also maybe it's also he knows Fred isn't going
1: yeah he knows he's going oh yeah to hell. Yeah. He
0: knows he's going to hell. Fred ain't going to hell. Interesting.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Even though he's such a sap. Well, um, I mean,
0: this guy is, this Scrooge is not really, he lies to himself, but he doesn't lie about the world. It's a cruel, corrupt version of it. Like I said, a cynical version of it, but he doesn't make any statement. And, th- and like, he doesn't know, we'll get to it later, but like, he doesn't know certain truths. Yeah. He has to be shown the truth and maybe that's yeah, sort of thing.
1: yeah. That is a big thing with this is like his willful blindness to the plight of the people around him.
0: Right. So he's he's ignorant. And so yeah. that that just but so he doesn't feel wrong in anything he's doing and he's just speaking his warped
1: truth right exactly um there is a moment here that i think is one of a couple moments in this production that leans like a little bit too hard into sentiment like mm-hmm. fred's speech in this one i think is particularly saccharine like it's it's really leaning hard and i think it may not be his performance so much as like the music that accompanies it the way that it's filmed it's a little sappy
0: i had that exact feeling in the moment i was like I almost felt like I was listening to, like, 90s, like, R&B, where (laughs) there was, like, a song that was really good, and somebody was singing the chorus, right? But then one guy was just talking over her the whole time. Like, Chris Rock did this bit about one time, and it's always rung true to me whenever I watch a movie, and somebody's giving a great monologue, and you want them to not have to compete with a score that is taking away from the scene. And every time I hear that or see it in a movie, I just hear Chris Rock yelling, will you let him finish the damn song? Will you let him just finish the damn monologue? Like... Like, well, you just let the man talk about Christmas and it's a beautiful monologue. Like, the words are timeless and true and you don't need.
1: Yeah. And it is just the Dickens language. I mean, the majority of this movie is straight out of the original right. text.
0: You don't need to bump up perfect. And this is one of like, I'm not saying everything in A Christmas Carol is perfect. It's pretty darn good. But yeah. this, what what it, what, Bob, what Fred is saying here. Is and I think I've said this on a previous episode is the modern twenty first century interpretation of Christmas.
2: Yeah, the the
0: the heart of it on a mainstream level and and it there's a reason why that has worked and what no sorry let me back up there's a reason why it lands so well because we connect with it.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so Fred leaves and we get, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it Chekhov's pocket watch. Scrooge has this Scrooge has this, uh, this. pocket watch that definitely plays Jingle Bells, right? This guy who hates Christmas more than anyone else has a pocket watch that plays Jingle Bells. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, I'll see uh, if I
1: can get the sound and drop it here, because it's 100% Jingle Bells.
2: Idiot. And he's made me
1: Late um, so and his things going off because he is a he's a commodities trader in this version, right? So his business is is commodities trade um, rather than money lending or, you know, other things we've seen. So he has to go down to the exchange, which is very Alistair Sim. We talked mm-hmm. about that. Like that's part of his business day. Yeah. Um, and he tells Bob, like, don't you if you lock up before seven o'clock. I'll know. <laughs> I
0: was and to was, his credit, Bob yeah. doesn't. <laughs> no, Bob 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 will stand up for himself, but he'll follow rules and instructions. Like yeah. he he's he's a good he's a good employee even for this scumbag. And So Scrooge says, don't leave a minute early, and then leaves to go to the... And then who does he see outside the uh, shop?
1: Yeah. So this is, I think, one of the strongest choices that this version makes, which is to really put a lot of emphasis on Tiny Tim. And this is one heck of a Tiny Tim. This is... I'm not going to
0: bury the lead here. This is Tiny Tim.
2: Yeah. This is
0: everything you want in a Tiny Tim, and then some, honestly. like. We talk about the guy Pierce one and the uh the actor they picked for Tiny Tim and that, and you know, he, great performance, but just dragged down by everything else around him in that yeah, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like like a good athlete on a bad sports team because yeah. of a draft or something. So you got here an amazing Tiny Tim and an amazing version of a Christmas Carol that bumps it up even more yeah. and yeah. he's he's standing outside the counting house waiting outside the counting house he's standing outside the office waiting for his father as Scrooge passes him. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. So he's this like really tiny, like wavy kid with like his little blonde bowl cut. And they've definitely like put a little white powder on him and they've like darkened his eyes. Like he looks a little sickly Mm -hmm. and he's little. I mean, this is a young actor. I didn't check to see how old he was when they filmed this, but Mm -hmm. pretty young and, like I would say that his actual acting itself is not particularly good, but it doesn't matter. Cause he's like very like just cute, innocent little kid. And it just kind of plays because of that.
0: He's great. And he, it's also like when we get to other scenes later on and people describe tiny Tim, it's not forced.
1: Yeah. You really buy it.
2: You really you, believe you, it.
0: You believe in this tiny Tim. And yeah. like on one hand, it, like when, in the animated one when the water gets – Scrooge dropped an entire bucket of water on the little oh gosh, tiny yeah. tip in that version. Anyway, um, moving on. Can't get onto that beat again. Yeah. Um, but like in that one, you're like, that's stupid. You, what, he wouldn't be out there. But yeah. because of how this Tim presents himself and like performs in this version – you do believe it, and it does make sense, and it's yeah. the right choice to have in yeah.
1: there. And they have like a little interaction here. So to to your to your theory that this is all the dream, right? Yeah! I think this is this is a strong contender for like dream theory of Christmas Carol, because Scrooge sees this kid and he's like, Stop begging on this corner. And he's like, I'm not begging, I'm Tim Cratchit. And he's like, yeah. Whoa, well, you're waiting for your father, you're gonna have a long wait, right? right? And but Scrooge gets to be eyeball to eyeball with this kid and see like a little piece of Bob's life, which he <laughs> may then be able to extrapolate from like the rest I guess
0: I was a wrestler back in the day and while I couldn't do
1: backflips back
0: then I can do backflips now when I see this scene and the dream <laughs> theory is like that's totally what they're doing in this version like other versions it's me interpreting that or them leaving ambiguous I think this movie leans very heavily onto the dream theory I think yeah. and I think this is why I think this scene is here for that like think about like if that is the, the, the intent what could cause Scrooge to have that mental breakdown? Another crappy Christmas when he lo- when even if he doesn't acknowledge it, that he knows that that's when he lost the love of his life, spoilers. Mm-hmm. And he comes face to face with this kid, tiny Tim, his employee's son. Look at the state of my employee's kid. Yeah. If he has a soul, he'll have a he'll have an epiphany maybe. Maybe he'll have a night of torment in his dreams and that he'll turn around. It's believable then.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Um, So he ends up at the exchange, and uh, this is a great scene because he's got these guys who are like, basically he had offered them a deal. He's got like a, he's got a... um, I don't know what you would call it, but like a shipment of corn or like a barn full of corn that these guys want to buy. And he quoted them one price and they didn't take it. And then he comes back and they're like, we'll take it at the price you quoted yesterday. He's like, nah, the price has gone up. You're going to have to meet my price if you want my corn. And what's interesting about this is they're like, well, the poor will suffer. Like we'll have to charge more for it when we sell it. So even these, these, 1% 1% pieces of crap at this exchange are thinking like, how will this impact the people who are badly off?
0: And yet they're still going to charge as much as they can to make a profit.
2: Yeah. Which yeah.
0: is a, su- like they're not the, it's showing Scrooge to be the worst of the worst. Yeah. But it's letting you know, he's not the only one. And even these yeah. people that are helping out, they're still, you know, they're not thinking about like, look,
1: yeah, because they still a- buy the corn. <laughs>
0: they still buy the yeah yeah sport. They still buy the corn, and they're still going to sell it at, a, at, a, at for profit. You know, but damn man, like this is a really good version of a Christmas Carol. Yeah, like, yeah, it's really that's such good. a Great scene.
1: And I love this. I love the moment where he like they go over to to debate, and he steps aside, and he just gets that look on his face, like yeah, they're going to pay it. <laughs> they're going to buy it. <laughs> and again, not to beat a
0: dead horse here. But Guy Pierce, with all his smug Machiavellian manipulation, yeah. wasn't as successful or as cool as George C. Scott. Yeah, jo- yeah. George C. Scott is like, oh my! He is a very
1: cool Scrooge. <laughs> he is.
0: He holds himself with act, like he doesn't like slouch. He's yeah. like, he's he's erect. He's yeah. like he's he's upright. He's this t- imposing figure. So, and I like, think
1: he he's, like, the perfect marriage, too, I think, of, like, that element of Alistair Sim, who was uh-huh. a very, like, self-assured and intimidating Scrooge, with a little bit of that Seymour Hicks, like, sad sack, and you mar- marry those two together with this, like, world-class actor in this role, and it's just it, chef's kiss. Man, it's...
0: And again, these are probably those are probably versions George C. Scott watched.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah.
0: You know? Like, it's... I mean... Yeah.
1: And we so, haven't watched, like, Reginald Owen. That was, like, kind of a big American version. And I'm sure there's some elements of that here as well.
0: All in good time. But, like, yeah, yeah. it's... This was a... I tell you, man, this th- this scene here was just an amazing choice. And it's... I guess the reason why I'm harping on it is this movie doesn't add much We see a lot of different versions where they add scenes that never existed or they rearrange things. They change names. This one, like we've been saying, it keeps it very close to the text. So when they do make a choice and it's a great choice, it's amazing to see somebody match Dickens.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: And elevate. Like I said, it's not it's it's timeless. It's not perfect but to elevate something that is near perfect is wonderful to see.
1: Yeah. Uh speaking of nearly perfect, so the charity collectors are here at the Exchange, right? And one of them is Michael Go, who is Alfred from the first four Batman movies. Yeah, man. He 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 brought it's... his eyebrows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he brought a lot to this performance. We're going to get into that. Um he um he it's it's so weird to see him not as Alfred. Yeah. Like it's like for those that don't know, the original four Batman movies for people of like mine and John's generation, like this was like the Batman series for like for the '90s and the right up until as soon as Batman Begins happened, it was like, okay, now we get how we can do Batman. He was one of the few consistent things in all four of those movies. Batman changed for three out of the four movies. But him and Commissioner Gordon were, like, the only two things that stuck around the whole damn time. So, mad respect to this Alfred. Um, My first Alfred. And um, he's giving a performance with some very interesting choices. Or just a very... I don't know. It's a very... I don't know. I felt like his performance was a little... I don't say over the top but it was very loud
1: like, i would say yeah both of these guys he de- they definitely play it very foppy like it's a the, these are these are very effete charity collectors yeah, they have I, names it's mr pool and mr hacking in this version
0: that's that's i yeah. mean those are good names for these characters but yeah i don't know i mean look i, I wouldn't uh,
1: call them like standouts i guess in like As much as we've gushed over the casting in this, they do what the charity collectors are there to do,
0: right? And it sounds like I'm really harping on them, and it's no, nothing is a sunken call. Nothing takes away from the movie in this scene. It's just like it's not the way I would have wanted that character to be portrayed. It's not a bad version of it. It's not like a like a like. Oh my gosh, it drags the whole thing down. It's just like this is not how I would choose to like when we play the charity collectors when we are 80 (laughs) and 60. Wait, why are we one of us eighty one? Yeah, how oh, would we be twenty? years apart? Or, yeah, right, right. Yeah, right okay. yeah. You're not that much younger than me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, when we do it, we'll have choices. And I, I, but I don't think if we each other when I'm playing, I'll go with a fop type of thing with it. It's not yeah. a bad choice. It's just not my preference.
1: Yeah, it's just a choice. Um, he's very sarcastic to them. Like the whole question of like, are the poor houses not working? Like all that stuff. He really like deadpans it, and it works really well. <laughs>
0: I wonder if he was, I wonder if the intention was that Scrooge was put off by them. That Scrooge is like. Oh, I think,
1: I, I think that he's supposed to be a little irritated by them. Because he's definitely not that personality type. He's very prim and proper.
0: Right. And I think, so maybe it is the right choice. Maybe I'm a schmuck. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I think it, I think it does contrast well with like his, um, his dry matter of fact, slightly sardonic kind of take on the character. Like
0: a mooding, brooding, like batman type of a character
1: <laughs>
2: okay up against an
0: over-the-top like joke i see what we did there
2: nothing
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um well bob closes the counting house and and meets tim and we get that a really solid because david warner's a tall guy so and with this tiny tiny tim on his shoulder it's very very convincing i mean it's like they stepped out of the book
0: it's genius it's actually an it's it's how do you make Tiny Tim look look smaller? Cast Andre the Giant as Bob yeah, yeah, Cratchit, yeah, 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 and it, and he can do things that Bob Cratchit should do yeah. in all the productions of this move of this book, in, as a movie. You know what he does? He picks Tiny Tim up, yeah, and puts him on his damn shoulder,
2: yeah.
1: He doesn't and doesn't look like he's it should be the other way around, like in the Elista version.
0: Oh gosh. (laughs)
1: Well, and they see they see all the kids playing like out it's outside of the exchange or the church or like some building and um It's a really good scene of, like, Bob sort of acknowledging, like, I know you can't do this right now, but, like, you'll get to do it someday. There's that kind of faintly glimmering hope that maybe things are going to be okay, but you sort of know that they're not already. So it's doing a lot of good things to establish and get us to care about Tiny Tim long before Scrooge has to start caring about him.
0: And it's another beat to lay in the optimism or the appearance of optimism that Bob puts on to support his family.
1: and i got it david warner in this his that optimism is so thin
2: Mm -hmm. like
1: he believes it but you can tell through his performance that he only believes it like 80 percent like he's got that doubt there on the surface where he's pushing for hope but at the same time i don't know
0: he's uh, underneath underneath deep down is the thing that's he doesn't b- want to believe it. So he won't believe it, but it's nagging at him constantly. Yeah. And, w- and it's nagging at him because he has thoughts. He's human. He has to think and worry and fears, but also because he does see Tim. So mm-hmm. he has to latch on to any hope he has. What, like when we get to a certain scene later on, like he's improving.
1: Yeah. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Scrooge goes home. Um, uh, really great like he's walking down this dark dark alley and the way this particular uh version deals with light and shadow i think is really strong like there's always this kind of light from beyond through the fog somewhere and casting everything else in silhouette like for a tv movie it's just visually so gorgeous
0: if you have in your head what high quality television movie like cinema would like cinematography is like it's like the really like it's I compare it to maybe someone like the BBC, like Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the way it's like framed and like how they can really luck into a really good shot once in a while, even though it's made for TV. It's that, but like up even a little bit more. Like they really get like some really great stuff out of nothing just by doing a lot of planning and timing correctly. Like we're going to shoot at night, we're going to shoot here, but we're going to use a lot of fog. Yeah. And then.
1: It's that accentuate the positives thing. Like they really yes. figure out how to make like the stuff work that works. And I mean, Clive Donner is a, a known quantity. Like he's a guy with, with an actual pedigree in terms of direction, so it doesn't surprise me. And and
0: when you can do something that you feel like needs to be there, you do it. Like the Hearst.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that.
0: This is a this is I'm kind of shocked it took them. 80 years in cinema to get to this point. And I haven't seen it really done since. How do you do in... So in the novella, when Scrooge comes home, after he's already seen the door knob scene, right? He comes into the house and the hearse comes by and... Does he in the book wish him a Merry Christmas or is that just
1: Scrooge? so, So the... the um He in the novella, he... Imagines that maybe he sees a, a hearse going in front of him up the stairs, right? Which I have, I think the only time I've seen that done was was that maybe the Richard Williams animated one did something like that.
0: Accurate to the book, yes. Um, yeah. but then in the uh, Thank You Very Much Scrooge, um, right? That one had, had the guy
1: saying Merry Christmas to him as he went by.
0: That had the one that w- was the stand-in for Cinderella's carriage go through, and right. it was right. it, again. <laughs> Not a bad choice. It gets yeah. it in there in a unique way. But okay, you can't do it up the stairs. You don't got the money for that. you got you got an amazing moment in the books that you want to show. Because it really lays in what happens later on yeah. in the story. Because mm-hmm. this is dealing with death. you got to yeah. put death front and center. How do you do that? This is how you do it.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's a white hearse right like almost dusty looking like it almost looks like it's just covered in a layer of dust with a coffin inside and it rides by this this alley that he's walking home and you hear marley's voice calling to scrooge and scrooge is looking around like i don't know where this voice is coming from and he he sees the hearse go by and kind of vanish into the fog right but he doesn't quite connect that the voice was coming from the hearse so it's like a little like did he see it did he not see it we're not sure and it's kind of okay that we're not sure right it's vague
0: does he remember Marley and he hears Marley's name through his voice as a hearse on the anniversary of his death goes by again. It's doing everything to justify both interpretations, the supernatural and the (laughs) psychological to do both the supernatural and the brain stuff. It's great.
1: So this is, um, uh, not like, I would say not the greatest knocker effect, it's just his face superimposed over the knocker. Like it
0: it's the standard. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with the standard. Could they have done a I uh, do like
1: this better than like the wispy Patrick Stewart one where with like it had like the weird like wavy effect around it and stuff? Like it the simplicity of it is kind of what makes it work.
0: I just remember the Patrick Stewart effect. <laughs> See, John, I blocked these out of my mind like really well, like cause I wanna forget the bad and enjoy the good. Man, that was a crappy effect. Like yeah. that was bad. Yeah. This is this is passable. This is probably the weakest supernatural visual effect in the movie. Yeah. A- and that's pretty damn good when considering yeah. everything. Like Yeah.
1: Well, because they do a lot of other things to just be like, we'll take like the simplest possible approach and just do that simple approach really 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 well. Right. Um and-
0: and we'll get through those as we come to them. There's a, there's a lot of them, damn it.
1: Yeah. So uh, he goes inside um, after seeing the face, and he's sort of, like, creeping through his house. The music is scary, and he's lighting a candle and, like, looking around. And then he gets up to his room and finally just, like, triple bolts the door. We see the bolt and the key and the bolt. And he's like, all right. And he settles in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's got his gruel there. Oh, yeah. That that charwoman woman left for him. And he's sitting down in the chair. And then things start to
1: get crazy. Well, even before... So I had this moment of, like, this is the first time that I've really been sold on, like... Even with Seymour Hicks, who basically looked like he was living in, like, an abandoned house, like, this particular iteration of him just, like, having this, like, crappy little dinner, Mm -hmm. sitting alone in a chair by the fire, like, not even at a table, he's so lonely. Like, how lonely the existence of Scrooge is really comes across for me in this version. The, while he is scared, right? But
0: this Scrooge is a little, I don't want to say braver. Yeah, more sure of himself but maybe yeah. braver yeah. um so he, he's he's i'm not gonna think about it i'm not gonna think about why i'm scared right yeah yeah and so he's just gonna go through his day-to-day life and georgie's got as screws going through his day-to-day life is boring sad and depressing and yeah this is not the worst set we've seen that's not actually a very good set not yeah. the best set we've seen but what makes it the best setting, like you're saying, is George C. Scott. He, yeah. is, he is selling all of the surroundings. This yep. is a lived-in, breathed-in house. And why is it so dusty? Because he doesn't use that stuff. He just walks by it and goes mm-hmm. to bed and eats his food and goes to work. And that's yep. all that guy does. And that's all that guy needs to Well, no, that's not what he needs to be. That's all he wants to be right now. Yeah needs and wants people this is how plots work in movies
1: so we get um uh, one thing this movie didn't need i would say is marley's face appearing in like all the little tiles around the fireplace which is something that's like referenced in the text but it doesn't actually happen in the text it's like if he looked at all those faces he might have seen marley there it's like vague whether or not it's happening i think the effect looks kind of dumb
0: it's a hybrid of the two different things that happen on the wall. There is yeah. the images. Uh, there are the Bible passage images that are on the fireplace that have moved only once in one version we've seen so far. Yeah. Patrick Stewart one, they add crappy CGI. They were going to use crappy CGI. Yeah. Uh, and then this is kind of the only other time we've seen it. And it's not exactly what happens, but it's the Marley in the wall scene. So, I'm counting it as two. I'm counting yeah. this as two. Yeah. What was the other thing? We were keeping a track of Scrooge's dad versus the wall.
1: I think those are the two that we're sort of tracking, like where do those things show up. Are we um, at
0: three or two here? Would we can s-
1: this, So we've had two fireplaces and um we'll talk about Scrooge's dad's when we when we get there. I, I was trying, I was yeah, yeah, to, yeah, no spoilers. Sh- um <laughs> So uh the um The bolts opening on the door are really creepy to me. This whole thing is really eerie, like the bell ringing and his facial acting with like his eyes and stuff really sells like how terrifying this is. The door is also behind him and you can see it in the shot behind him, which is really alarming. It's it because you're you're,
0: you. He doesn't know what's coming. So his imagination is just playing with him. Yeah. And what we're seeing even freaks us out right, yeah. like it's like it's and so you're watching him being doubly afraid because it's imagination, and we know that he should be afraid because it's what the hell's going on, and yeah
2: yeah, it, yeah, it's good,
1: yeah, so then the door like what the best part is like the the locks are turning and the bolts are going, and the the chains are rattling, and the bells are ringing, and he's like, this is humbug, I don't believe this, like he's really fighting against it mm-hmm. until the door opens, and then <laughs> His eyes bug out, and he jumps up out of the chair because the door is opening behind him, which is (laughs) not okay. That's like I'm getting uncomfortable just thinking about it. It it's
0: there's nothing more terrifying than when the door opens up behind you and you don't know why it opened up. Yeah, and like if you live in a house during the summer and you got windows open or something, and like a gust of wind (laughs) slams the door shut, and you weren't expecting it. Well, get the strongest and heaviest thing standing around you and be ready for action, friends, because there's a burglar in the house. Yeah. Like, it's terrifying. And this is. Or in this
1: case, a very creepy ghost.
0: Whoa, whoa, right.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: hopefully in real life we're not fighting ghosts that often john or burglars for that you
1: know yeah so we have uh frank finlay as uh jacob marley who i couldn't find anything like super of consequence that he's been in seems to be just like one of those kind of british character actor guys who's in like a bunch of stuff um i mean there i mean there
0: are probably there are probably people that know way more about him and know their know his work but you could only be exposed to so much media in your lifetime, sure. friends. Yeah. And, but here, great. Oh, I did find out one thing about him in the theater, though. He was Iago in uh, uh, Laurence Olivier's film adaptation of yes. Othello.
1: Yes, I did see that. That was that was the one thing and, I did and, see. And
0: I'll tell you what, that ain't bad.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, well, you're a big a Iago fan.
0: Yeah, I'm a big Iago fan. I'm not a huge fan of who played Othello in that. Now looking back on it, though.
1: Well, Yeah um (laughs) so uh, this is (laughs) a lot of things so i i didn't really talk about this in the intro this is oh yeah (laughs) not great um
0: Cut out all the stuff of the. i uh, go. Let's move into the next bit.
1: Yeah. So I didn't talk about it in the intro, but this is like the version of a Christmas Carol that I watched growing up. Like after the Mickey one, this was kind of my Christmas Carol. This is like a formative Jacob Marley for me. This guy's yeah. performance has shaped the way I perceive this character. Um, if you've been, listening he's to great. The-
0: yeah, yeah. If you listen to the podcast, you know that this is like this is what we want when we want a Marley. Like this yeah. is this is. Everything is done at the right moment to mm-hmm. get the right reaction out of Scrooge. Yeah. It is paced wonderfully well. He does feel otherworldly. He mm-hmm. does lay in the right amount of
2: fear.
1: And yet very terrestrial. Like he feels otherworldly but he feels very corpse-like compared mm-hmm. to like Alec Guinness who was like floating around or like the weirdness with the like the um uh uh Nick Cage one right like oh, God, we've God. seen Marley done like all these different ways. the Richard Williams one was a great example of like a real ghostly Marley mm-hmm. right this one feels very like it's a ghost but also like a revenant corpse um very very like physical, which I really enjoy
0: yeah there's a lot of physicality in this performance
1: and the stare oh yeah he never blinks he ever never
0: never blinks and
1: his eyes are all, like, milked out, like he's got, like, a milky contact in or something. He doesn't really look at Scrooge ever. He's just kind of staring off into, like, the distance.
0: I'll say it here. He looks like something out of Evil Dead,
2: too. Oh, yeah. He is yeah.
0: just grotesque. And he should be. Like you're saying, he's a corpse. He's got yeah. chains that he has to carry around as a corpse. Yeah. I'm sure nice that...
1: heavy chain, too.
0: Yeah. Again, what I love the most about a Marley performance is the chain. If you don't have a good chain in there, it's not Marley. And (sighs) wonderful chain work here.
2: Yeah. And
1: I think the thing that really sells it for me on top of all this other stuff is like, you really believe the suffering in a way that I think you don't get with other Marleys. Like a lot of Marleys can be either like very ghostly and it's almost like passively ghostly. Um, You get like that. The Albert Finney one, right, with Alec Guinness, he's almost like a comedy character, mm-hmm. right? This Marley is in pain. And you see it throughout his performance. Like, he is suffering the worst suffering imaginable.
0: It's You know what it reminds me of? And if I've mentioned this on another episode, forgive me. It feels like this is the hell of the R-Town universe.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, like this is like... because. It's not that far off from, like, if you know what I'm talking about in our town, I don't want to spoil our town, but come on.
1: Um, Every high school in America has done our town at some point. Right. Spoilers are
2: off.
0: But, like, how they are in the graveyard, right, at Mm -hmm. the end of it, like, that is the same type of afterlife that Marley is existing in, but with punishment. And that's... Ooh... Yeah, that's a 1013 lot. 1013 in foggy London town.
1: <laughs> God, that's such an in joke. I'm glad the only people who've listened to this are like friends that we have who do theater because oh, otherwise yeah. no one would get that reference. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so the the way this scene plays out is like pretty standard. I would Mm. say George C. Scott is very like after he gets over the kind of initial shock, he really comes back at him like gravy, more gravy than a grave. Like you're not real. I don't believe it until we get that good scream.
0: Let's not gloss over. That's a great delivery of the
1: gravy line. Like, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's which is it the best version we've gotten so far? Of the gravy line? I think so, because I think George C. Scott is the first Scrooge with like the cojones to really like make you believe that he would stand up to a ghost instead of being terrified immediately.
0: I agree. I think I and and I think it just it so it lands with more of a punch, which then gives the scream the ammunition to lay in the even harsher punch. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And I like that the scream is definitely born out of like he's in. Torment, mm-hmm. and this guy's jerking him around, and but- he's like, he's like, "Shut up! I need to tell you." Like, it's definitely not just to scare Scrooge. It's also his own like impatience with Scrooge.
0: If he wasn't trying to communicate a message with Scrooge, he would just be screaming his whole afterlife. That's yeah. the point. So yeah. it's like I got to get this out of me right now to a smarten you up a bit, but yeah. b. Dude, you don't know what I'm dealing with every second of every part of this existence.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ugh. And we know
1: this is not a redeemable Marley. He's like, it is too late. I'm here for you. Um, and
0: he almost is mad that Scrooge has the second chance.
2: Yeah, a little he's, bit. Yeah,
0: he, he's 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 like, all right, you got the second chance. I got no hope. I don't. I don't wish this on anybody. I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. But here's what's gonna be happening to you, buddy.
1: Um, yeah, so he kind of lays things out. And I think, uh, one of the things that we'll see with this Scrooge is that he is, he's is very put upon by this situation. Like, he really wants, like, he's very, uh, 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 he's like, like, he's got that, like, Protestant work ethic thing going on where he's mm-hmm. just like, the best thing for me is going to be a good night's sleep. And, and, yeah. and like, even, even up until, like, the last Spirit, we're going to see that, like, practicality kind of coming through, which I think is really interesting. It's a great um, choice. Yeah, it is. So, Marley, basically, it's a pretty quick Marley scene. He gets in and out. Um,
0: yeah, which, he's... it's, it's it, Hey, I've watched it how many times at this point?
1: I know, for real.
0: I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. But, it's like, it was it was quick. It was done. It was good. Yeah, I was a little sad on the exit though,
2: mm. because
0: yeah. this is probably the movie's biggest uh, black eye, biggest shiner. Here is that as he approaches the window. I was hyped.
1: Yeah, it really felt like they were going to do something good.
0: It as like I was like, okay, here we go, here we go, and the window opens, and you hear it, you yeah. hear the wailing, and he phases through the window and he leaves and the window slams and we kind of still hear the wailing and then that's that yeah we by the time get, scrooge
1: looks out the window there's nothing there
0: we don't get a window scene we don't get the window scene and it's you need the window scene it's the it is the exclamation point on this whole scene it's the look yeah witness what your fate is beyond just your friend look yeah. at what everybody else is doing and it also puts another face on a victim of capitalism but yeah yeah mhm and it and it's and it's weirdly needed. i
1: think that would be like because of the I think the particular sin that this Scrooge is guilty of in this version, I think that this window scene would be a really effective way to like seed that because we're going to find out like this Scrooge his his sin is willful blindness to his fellow man. Like that's what this one's about. He has allowed this practicality to blind him to the suffering around him.
0: Right. He doesn't have to be around it. So he's going to be, he's going to just, Put blinders on and trot his race, and that's it. But when he takes them off and is forced to see, that's why this scene, like you're saying, is needed and is the beginning of yeah. the downward, sp- the upward spiral. Because yeah. it's a good ending here of Scrooge's redemption.
1: Yeah. Um. And almost immediately after the window closes, he's like, "Must be something I ate." Right. Like he snaps back really quick to. Okay, that wasn't real, obviously, like I gotta get it together,
0: yeah, and it's it's the right call it's yeah. it's it's you could maybe play it with a little bit more doubt, but not much more,
1: yeah, like, and I like, think it and I think it, it it rang true to the character the way that George C. Scott plays the character, yes, yeah,
0: he definitely de- he definitely is more like quick to uh, you know realist, yeah as soon as something is back to normal. he's like, that was just my mind. Everything's yeah. centered again, I'm good.
1: Um, so we're gonna take a quick break here, and then when we come back, let's talk about this ghost of Christmas Pass.
2: Woo dogged. Stop your half a crying for it, you'd think yourself ill use, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill use if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hm, only once again, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every twenty fifth of December. Yes,
1: So we are back. We doggies. Uh,
0: by the way, I got that wrong. <laughs> For all you Beverly Hillbilly fans out there, it's we doggies.
1: Oh my gosh i I would not know. I don't know that I've ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies.
0: It's it's not. It's, I watched the pilot recently, and the pilot's really good. The problem was in the second episode that they um, Jethro swore on Jefferson Davis that he didn't see something or he didn't do something, and I'm like. Uh, <laughs> wee doggies.
1: Oh wee doggies. <laughs> well, um Scrooge is in bed and we hear the clock chime and uh no spirit immediately emerges so he's like, ah, obviously this was all fake. And then uh there's smoke and there's light and the curtains billow open and it's David Bowie. And Oh my gosh! Well, this is actually so. The Ghost of Christmas Past is Angela Pleasance. Yep. Daughter of Donald Pleasance.
0: Yeah. Do- yeah. Donald Pleasance is an amazing actor. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I would say this is a quite good Ghost of Christmas Past. I have like a lot of things I like about this. Um, she definitely has like David Bowie and Labyrinth hair. It's that almost the exact same hairstyle.
0: Yeah. Let's let's. Yeah. Yeah. He. It's exactly what you would do in a stage production as a costume.
2: Yeah. Unless you're doing
0: something really out there, like something with, like, projectors, which is what everybody's doing nowadays because LED projectors are so easy, blah, 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 blah. But this is how old school it would have been done, and it's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, she's got, like, the sprig of holly. She has the extinguisher cap, which is, like, uh, very... um, front and center uh it's used for like the transitions and stuff um i'm always a fan of the cap it was nice to see it there
0: and yeah. as soon as you see it there that's off extinguisher cap because we know why it's there
1: oh yeah yeah you don't put an extinguisher cap on the wall and not use it <laughs> yeah he asks her to put it on too right away which we don't we rarely get like the the actual request like you're too bright put this on
0: And that's the thing. That's why we keep saying that this version really does lean back into Mm -hmm. the novella and uses what's great about to support what they're going for.
1: Yeah. Um, So I would say overall, the performance that we get from this Ghost of Christmas Past, I like it because it is passive in the way that we've talked about the ghost being kind of passive, but still manages to subtly challenge Scrooge throughout. Right and and George C. Scott is a Scrooge that needs to be pushed. Like right. he needs pushback in order to grow, because otherwise he would just steamroll everyone.
0: But it, but and that's and that's why it's here. Like you're saying, this is what this Scrooge needs, and it's because if this is a dream, this is him saying it back to himself. Yeah, this is how he would look back on his regrets and be like, see what you did there. See what you didn't do there. See you let her go. And it's a solid uh, performance.
1: Yeah. Um, he's a little sarcastic with her. Like, again, like the whole sleep thing. Um, but she she takes his hand and they, you know, they go back uh, into the past.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he sees the kids on the road. And it's like, you know, he's um, comes back to that, like, more youthful version of himself. Mm-hmm. Um there's a thing here that I wanted to talk to you about because I was trying to figure this out. So the, in this version, they explicitly say that the reason Scrooge's father doesn't love him is that his mother died in childbirth.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk
1: about this one too. So is so how does this work? Because I I think Fan is younger than him. It's hard to tell because they're both kind of young adults. So maybe she's older.
0: Could be. Could be that he got married again
1: yeah i was wondering that too if she's like a half sister
0: that's the best like that's like that's the best answer i had because she's because otherwise
1: it's kind of a plot hole right i don't i don't know if it is or not
0: right and he only saw her like once or twice but she was always like she she wanted to have a big brother she knew she had a big brother and would either write to him all the time because she wanted a friend or maybe would see him like once a year and it was the best memory of her childhood too. So that's why she, I think, I think it's the, I think it works here. And also it, it's another good layer for what happens later on in this version.
2: Yeah. Because Um,
0: it would be like, Oh, like father, like
2: son. (laughs)
1: Um. So a, a big shift in this scene, which I found really interesting. So they see young Scrooge reading his books, right? And, and the spirit is kind of pitying him. But Scrooge is like, what do you mean he didn't have friends? He had good old Alibaba, and he had Robinson Crusoe, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like he made do this boy like he's proud of his young self for his perseverance which is a very different take from what we've seen before it's not the like the pity it's it's no this this boy pulled himself up by his bootstraps like
0: well he's taking the narration of describing how he got by right yeah and putting it in and it's so it's the right choice again for this Scrooge, but it might be the right choice on um, where Scrooge is at mentally in the evening. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. he's not there yet to be like to, I mean, look, we're going to go through some versions. that Cause we're in really the book late. he
1: cries like in the book, he's like poor boy and he cries. So right. it's like, this is a very different, like this Scrooge is going to need to be like whittled down bit by bit. He's not just going to break the first sad thing that he sees.
0: So for a movie, for like a movie narrative, this is the structure you want. Like first evidence in this. So we're
1: all watching him. Like that's incredibly sad and traumatic. And he's sitting there like, no, this, this boy was strong. Like
0: this, he is like, and we're going to get to it in a little, not too long for after this beat. Like, there's a reason why he would have that, which mm-hmm. is a great location for this moment, because, like, why would he have that opinion of a child that he lived that childhood? He should know how difficult that would have been for him. Nope. He has to interpret it a certain way, and why is that?
1: Yeah. So uh, he's older, and his sister shows up. And again, like, it's it's hard to say which one of them is older.
0: Right. It's a little bit of a headcanon here. Like, we'll have our own little theories on it, but... um, she, she could be older, technically. I mean... Yeah, yeah. But,
1: you know... Yeah, he does call her Little Fan, which is a weird thing to call your older sister, but, like, who knows, whatever. Yeah. So she comes in, and it's interesting, because she's like, Dad's a lot nicer than he used to be, right? The same thing in the book. But then they go outside, and we have a Scrooge's dad alert, Scrooge's dad alert, Scrooge's dad alert. Oh
2: boy. Because
1: Because we have a doozy of a Scrooge's dad in this scene, who I think... Like, has little pieces of all of the Scrooge's dads that we've seen in, like, a perfect package to create the George C. Scott Scrooge. So
0: far, this is the earliest version of Scrooge's dad we've seen, right?
1: I believe so, yeah. Because,
0: obviously, the... Well,
1: no, technically, the guy Pierce won, like, he was a little kid.
0: No, 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 no. I mean, like, when the movie was made.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is
0: 84. The next one to see it is um, the 2000 is one.
1: No, it's Scrooged.
0: Well, sc- Scrooged, but that's, you know, different version of the characters. Well sure, I'm
1: sure, saying. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But we have the animated one and the guy Pierce one for an Ebenezer Scrooge father, right? Yeah, yeah. Those two versions have things that are similar to this version mm-hmm. but pale to comparison because you don't mess with the sequel people this scrooge's father is perfect this is the perfect interpretation of scrooge's father i wanted that animated scene in a live action version and hot damn i got it <laughs>
1: Yeah, I remember thinking that at the time when we watched that one being like, this is a lot like the George C. Scott one. And I'm like, the George C. Scott one really nails it. So the, basically the idea is like, he runs up, like he's excited to see his father and his father's like, oh, chill. Let me look at you. Haven't they been feeding you? And he's like, I'm I'm grown. Like, I'm a grown man. He's like, all right, well, we'll see. You're going to spend two days with us and then you're going to go work for Mr. Fezziwig. Like right. immediately he's like, and the the line that I think, the line that's so crushing. So first of all, this actor, um, Nigel Davenport, uh, Silas Scrooge. Has, Silas. Yeah. Silas Scrooge. Which I'm almost positive the 2001 version also named him Silas. And I'm wondering if there's like an iteration out somewhere that has that name.
2: I or have to go back and check now.
0: Or they could have just taken it from this one. Because that yep. could have been the people that were animated or written that version, Scrooge. I mean, Absolutely. 84, 2000, that's 16 years. Oh man, so good.
1: Um, so I'm gonna say something, and I don't mean this to be rude to any of our listeners who do have this condition, but this actor has a slightly lazy eye, and it makes his stare so um impassive and inscrutable. So he's already giving this really like hard and measured performance, and then his face, like the way his 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 eyes sort of like don't even focus in on his son, like it adds a lot to this performance. And it, it just struck me. I don't know.
0: It's it's I, I, I didn't notice it, but what I did notice about him was the stare in general. Right? Yeah. Like he, he stares down his son. Yeah. And measures him.
2: Yeah.
0: He's, fe- you know, and he doesn't know what his son is. Yeah. And he's going to make, he's going to put the finishing touches on this boy and make him a man after his own heart. And that is a cold heart. That is mm-hmm. a cold hearted bastard. And he sends him to work right away. And if not for where he goes to have an apprenticeship, as we'll see, there might have been no hope for this Scrooge.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the the most soul crushing line is when he's like, I think three days is is quite long enough for the both of us. Like, I uh, I don't want to be around you for more than three. It's so rough. It's so rough. And And you get this really great shot of the two of them in the carriage with George C. Scott looking through the window in the middle. So it's like their faces and profile on either side and then his face in the middle and you see like the way that he's become this blend of the two of them. It's so good.
0: What's also great about that line is it's him maybe being honest about how much of a bastard he is. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be around me for three days. I suck. So let's not do this to ourselves. And maybe in that way, he's thinking he's doing the right thing by his son. if in a screwed up way. And maybe that, I think like he might really believe that in this world, this is the only way you can survive by treating your kids like this. Cause it's a cold hearted world. Not just at Christmas. time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so we we transitioned from there to Fezziwig, and I think the whole time, like, a lot of these scenes where we just have George C. Scott watching, he's really selling, like, the pain for Scrooge in this way that's very controlled. Like, he's really keeping it locked down, but you see it in his eyes, in, like, the little tilt of his mouth, whatever it is. His facial acting is really bringing across, like, I am suffering through the process of watching these painful memories.
0: And also there is like this again, you know what, if you know who George C. Scott is or not, his performance lends itself to this. There's that power that there's that, that, that power that's inside of him that he's holding back. He's reserving it. Right. And as soon as he can let it out, he's going to, but he's not. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, Oh my God. Like, like, is he going to explode yet? Like, is he going to do something? Like, oh, my, is this the moment where he goes? And it doesn't happen until it does. Yeah. And it's, it, but it just it puts you on a razor's edge the entire time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, so good. Um, so we cut over to Fezziwig. Great Fezziwig scene.
0: Yeah, not the strongest Fezziwig overall, but a really great Fezziwig.
1: Look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we get like, we see him kind of like, we get a feel for how he works with like his employees. He's really polite and like a little jokey with them. Um, And we get a scene that I always really love. And I think because this version does it, I like look for it in other versions, where he pulls Scrooge aside, and he's like, just chill, like it's Christmas. You don't have to work. I am perfectly fine with how you do your job. I need you to have fun tonight, please. Like that really good self-care, like work-life balance kind of boss that everybody wants. It's it's
0: it's the type of person you want to work for. Yeah. You know, and and it's the exception to the rule of how Scrooge sees his reality. Yeah. And that's the best evidence that he's living the worst possible life is that, no, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to treat your employees this way. You know that for a fact, because he's right there in your memory, treating you with dignity, respect, and cares about you and wants you to have a good time. And, oh, gosh, it's a it's a good, good little scene that when it does happen, I'm very happy to see that moment as
1: well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Bell is at the Christmas party. Yeah. So I, I think we've seen this done this way a couple of times. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if the text implies that she's there, but it, there's certainly like, it's a good place to introduce her. Cause it's like a, a moment where the characters are having fun. Scrooge like steals a little kiss from her on the dance floor. They joke and flirt. Like,
0: look, you're going to, sorry, mystery science theater. I'm going to steal the joke twice in one episode. You Pay for the set and the costume and the extras for the Fezziwig scene. You're going to shoot the fezziwig scene, and there's not a natural place in the in the novella where she gets introduced. Belle is introduced, so you need that. Okay, where are we going to have them meet? Well, where would it be a natural place? A party. That's where people meet each other. They're going to be dancing. Maybe they even already know each other, like they do in the novella. But like this is where like they kind of flirt big time.
1: This sort of implies, too, that they already know each other. Because he's like, it's been good for you to come to Fezziwigs. Like, you've been so much less serious. And he's like, oh, I'm a pretty serious-minded person. And he yeah. jokes about it, but you can kind of tell that he's not joking.
0: No. Like, he's he's self-aware a little bit. But also, it's like he's he knows he's kind of a pain in the butt. And he also has this part of it where it's... I like the idea of them knowing each other at school or something. Or, like, from a neighborhood. Or something before... Four Fezziwigs even like like and that's such a great little detail that it's not just I don't know it adds more depth to the relationship that, and without, which we very rarely ever get to see right like like you Bella's such a fascinating character that is a mystery for everything but these two scenes of the novella yeah and it's anything more we get for her is an interesting uh part of her tapestry and and to see what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, they, you know, they dance and then it kind of cuts to like later that night. Um, you We get some really good, like, S- George C. Scott kind of like wistfully, like thinking about her, like looking down. Um, his just, I don't know, I could gush about his performance all night, but we, We're we gonna, get this. Let's pause here for a second. We're going to
0: save all of it for yeah. like I I think you can guess with when it's going to happen but George C. Scott hot damn
2: yeah yeah um
1: so he uh that night we see like young Scrooge and Dick Wilkins talking and basically he's saying like one day I'm going to make enough money and then I'll deserve her right so <sighs> for him like the profit is about being good enough for her which obviously we know bell from every single version of this that's not what she wants right no. but that's what he believes he has to do right
0: i i i wish i wish in a lot of different versions i wish there's more examples of why he believes that you know like yeah. maybe it's something the father says in that scene maybe it's something that somebody like a schoolboy said to him or something like I don't know. I would like some little more of a root for that thought getting in there. But maybe the real tragedy is that's how much society tells you that you have to have money for people to care about you. Sure. And so there isn't a need for that. It's just it's in the ether. That, which well, is- yeah. And,
1: and we have that thing with the father. Like, you know, you're my investment. Like we saw that in the animated one. The the. Okay. Christmas Carol the movie, right? So I think there is that Im- implication that like Scrooge has to be worth something financially, yeah. right, which, to earn which is, his father's love,
0: which is very a, a great choice for uh, a Christmas Carol, but very tragic um thing for reality. Like that's just yeah. the thing about somebody having to think about themselves in that way, it's, it's it's horrifying, it's terrifying.
1: Yeah. Um so we get the breakup scene, it happens in the park and he's running late. And he's kind of transitioned from, like, I need to make enough money to deserve her to, like, I deserve to make money. That's sort of his, like, mentality, right?
0: Yeah, and he's not. He's when we get to the line where she's like, you've already like, you know, um, if if we had met now, would you, you know, be with me? Right. When we mm-hmm. get to that moment. It's usually done with a lot more cowardice to the realization that he would say no. Yeah. He's he's like, no, yeah, you're right. Damn. And he's upset with it, but he's like, it's truth.
1: Right. Like, and he's like, Do you do you think I would change? And she's like, Whoa, what a what a weak answer. Right. You right. jerk.
0: Like he's like Man, this let's say something here. This is a great young Scrooge.
2: Yeah. Like Yeah, he's very get, good.
0: We get him from the end of the school year, schoolboy years, the father scene, Fezzy Wigs, and this and that's a lot of scene for a young Scrooge. Usually it's one and you're done here. That's a lot of ground to cover and pretty good. Pretty good for young Scrooge.
2: Yeah. Um, oh
0: boy. I think we Yeah. Got that so we, we find out that,
1: <laughs> well, what we find out is that he's, he's sort of built this business up on an inheritance from his father's death. Oh, yeah. um, so, which is interesting, right? Cause it's like, Scrooge's whole fortune is wrapped up in the fortune that his father created and what he's been able to do with that money, which is really messed up. If you think about like him bearing the burden of his father's like bullcrap forward. Um, but then him not. But
0: then he has to get more to prove that he can get more because yeah. he didn't make his money because all of his money comes from his father. Right. It's. Awesome
1: <laughs> yeah it's really good and uh he's like I almost went after her that's sort of his excuse and she's like well the, the ghost is basically like well that doesn't mean anything because you didn't <laughs> so right. don't, don't jerk me around you didn't go after her let's see what would have happened if you did oh um and so we get you know her family and they're out in the snow making a snowman and the dad shows up and that you know This scene plays out the way it usually does where he's like, hey, I saw your friend and she for some reason is immediately like, oh, is it Ebenezer Scrooge? And and he's not like, yeah, but why are you thinking about your ex so much? (laughs) 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 But what I really love in this moment is she's like, she has this line where she's like, poor Ebenezer, like poor, sad, pitiful man or something like that. And George C. Scott is pissed like it is not the you fool why didn't you go after her? she was the only woman I loved he's like spare me your pity I have no need of it
0: that and that is such a great choice <laughs> yeah because it's it's again not the novella it's him in a movie so we uh, we're following the hero's journey here The you know the hero's story this is just where he needs to be because this is the what is it He's refusing the call. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. This is the mm-hmm. end of the memories. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the memories. And this is the most obvious call to action here, right? Yeah. And he's like, No, I am not a failure. I am I am Ebenezer freaking Scrooge. I have made my fortune. I am a I'm a good man of business. And that's all I will be judged on. Yeah. And and now I will stay on this farm on Tatooine because I've <laughs> got to help with the harvest.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm a moisture farmer. Damn so it.
2: he
1: he crams that that cap down on the spirit's head and she's going like truth lives, truth lives, which is a, a little weird, I guess. But I guess it's trying to like the metaphor just of light coming out doesn't quite get the point across.
0: No, no, it does not. But it's still a great moment. I love it anytime we see it. And yeah. it's, it's well done here. The best version and probably the best version we'll see of that is, of course. The Richard Williams version.
1: Yeah, that was very good.
0: Because only through animation can you get that and it doesn't look silly. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like, if it happens in real life, in real life, it would be so weird that it would not be weird that you're doing it. But... Yeah. If... But... It's not looking good in it. But yeah. it, this looks pretty good.
1: And then in favor of your dream theory, he kind of wakes up and he's like strangling the blanket and he's doing that George C Scott like rrr, 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 thing. He'll see the big board. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Gotta be honest, the fact that I haven't leaned into my George C. Scott impersonation more in this podcast or lack thereof is a testament to how good of a performance he is given. Yeah, you but just
1: want, you just don't want to bring it just down.
0: Eat it up, man!
1: It's yeah. so damn
0: good, Dickinson. You magnificent bastard! I read your
1: book. <laughs> it's like the only patent line I know. The only it, one.
0: It, I mean, look, one. Night- it's the only
1: one you need to know, I guess. Right? right? That's the like, one.
0: I know that because of Linkara. He used it in a bunch of things, and he's really smart and funny. And Linkara, if you ever listen to this podcast, you're a good guy.
2: <laughs> there we he's go. He's never
0: going to listen to the podcast, Jimmy. <laughs> he's a zealous celebrity, dude.
1: So he crawls into bed, and he's like, oh, God, it was a nightmare. Let me sleep. He's exhausted. And that brings us to the end of The Ghost of Christmas Past. Hey, James. Hey, John. Do you want to cast some carols?
0: Hell yeah!
1: Welcome to Casting Carols. This is the part of the show where we come up with our dream cast for the perfect production of A Christmas Carol, yeah. even though, clearly, it already exists. But <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I... In reality, this is probably as close as you're going to get, but that being said, it's always good to, you know, have your little daydreams of like, oh, this would be the best that, this and the other. So let's, uh, let's find out who our best otherwise would be,
1: uh, tonight we're going to be actually casting two, uh, different characters. So let's get it rolling here. Alright, our first one up This one's going to be fun And I think I know who I want for this Is the Ghost of Christmas Future Ooh Yeah
0: righty.
1: Alright James We have thought about it mm-hmm. They've listened to the fun elevator music Who do you have for the Ghost of Christmas Future?
0: My ghost of Christmas future is Adam Driver.
1: Dang.
2: Okay. I
0: don't don't know where that came from. I don't know how it got in there. But I just, I was thinking, and obviously he played an all black weird costume villain in uh, Kylo Ren. But like, he does stoic Really well.
2: Yeah.
1: He's kind of, like, lanky.
0: He, no, he's actually, like, butch. This guy was in yeah, the military. But he,
1: well, yeah, I mean, we all know Ben Swolo. Right, like, that's right, a thing. Right. But, right. but 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 he's but, tall, like, long oh, in the yeah. arms and legs. Yeah. And so,
0: like, he can carry it naturally. But if you want to enhance that through either costume or CGI or however, you could do a thing. Like, I'm imagining almost something out of, like, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe... Death is represented by a traditional grim reaper, a fi- a female grim reaper mm-hmm. who sometimes is the skull, right? But then also times is a is a beautiful woman. It's kind of like you know like the 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 there's a term for I can't remember but in art like uh, death and a beautiful woman like mixing together. It's like what if there was like this is like them constantly together, right? Yeah. Mhm. Anyway, um I kind of feel like that could be a thing for this guy, where it was like Adam Driver's face is there a little bit, but then it can transition to a skull and back and forth.
2: Yeah, and just Adam Dri-
0: I And I know it's like you never really see the face, but like I feel like even without the face, he could do it. Like I have to play around with it, but yeah. once it hit me, I was like, "Oh, Adam Driver, that's the guy."
1: Interesting. Okay, I he like would that. Scare
0: the crap out of me.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a scary dude. I'm a soft can,
0: boy.
1: He has the potential to be a scary dude, I should say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Adam Driver. I like that.
0: John, who would you cast as the ghost of Christmas future?
1: So I've had this one figured out for a long time. <laughs> um, I've, I've been sort of waiting for it to come up. My ghost of Christmas future is... <laughs> Doug Jones. Ooh. Right?
0: Oh my, me meow, meow. Oh my goodness. When did you think of this? When did you know this was the beat?
1: He, so our very first episode of doing this, because he was one of the people that I had in mind for Jacob Marley. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, wait, wait, hold up.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's,
1: that's a bad choice because not that he wouldn't be a good Jacob Marley, but the Ghost of Christmas Future doesn't speak. It is all about that kind of like grotesque physicality. Mm-hmm. And that is... That's like Doug Jones's entire wheelhouse. That's the thing he does is use his body so expressively in these roles
0: it's it's a it's a it's a good shout. It's a damn good shout i I would be intrigued to see how he would play with the costume in that respect because mm-hmm. I mean you can't stray too far of it. even like my mind without him, I wouldn't be doing that. I, how do you envision it?
1: Uh, so I think it would be like the shrouded robe you know like very classic but I think a lot of the acting would be in that one hand and that's what I was thinking like who's an actor who can like just do a lot of acting with their one hand and then I'm like oh I'm thinking like about pan's labyrinth right i mean the the two characters he plays in pan's labyrinth have like hugely expressive hands abe sapien with like the crazy expressive hands like all these roles that he's played where he's in this like full body rubber suit and so much like gesture work and stuff like that like you need that hand to be really expressive so doug jones is my ghost of christmas future all right let me get my random number rolling here All right, so we actually have a, a two for this time because we're going to be casting the charity collectors.
0: So we got three, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, knocking okay. them out. Okay,
0: So I can't cast you and me.
1: <laughs> you could. I there's mean, nothing saying you. There's nothing saying you can't. I
0: might do it. Damn it, I might do it. All right. Um. I'm thinking.
1: All right, so we've had some time to think. James, who are your charity collectors?
0: You're going to think I'm crazy, but my charity collectors (laughs) are Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton.
1: (laughs) Man, you're really going with the, uh, we have a time machine and can cast anyone we want theory on this one.
0: If we're going to if we're going to play with it, we're going to freaking play with it. And I've been casting mostly comedians in my movie and for a bit part, a cameo bit part, I don't think there's a better pair of comedians than Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. I love you could, that. You could say uh, you know, line, uh, you know, like line, pause for a second. Ooh, I can't say it for right now. What's the team? Laurel, uh, and Laurel. Laurel
1: and Hardy Yeah, you could
0: say Laurel and Hardy or you know um, I don't know a bunch of other two man groups but in the movie Limelight Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton get to share the screen a, a really great comedy bit and they can talk and Charlie Chaplin actually is you know he's British you know he, so I think Chaplin would be great there and especially Chaplin as the ones like most of them would rather die. Watch mm-hmm. the great dictator speech. Oh, yeah, that me, pa-
1: that pathos. Yeah.
0: Tell me he would be able to lay it in and then stare down Scrooge after he gives them. If they're going to die, they better go ahead and do it. Mind. That's Absolutely. somebody that could put the fear of God in somebody with a death stare. Charlie Chaplin's got that power. So I, that's my choices.
2: Okay.
1: I like that. I like that. It makes me feel better about my choices also, actually. Uh-
0: well, wait a minute, John, does that mean because your choices are better than mine? Or what are you talking no, about? No,
1: but I I think I thought about it in a similar way. That like these are these are characters who it's like a walk-on role, so I think you can do like a fun cameo with like an unexpected pair. Mm-hmm. Um so with that in mind, my charity collectors are Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Nice! Yeah. Very
0: nice. Yeah. Now, why and why those two?
1: So I, I I like kicked around a couple ideas. I remember when I picked um, Jermaine Clement as my uh, um, Bob Cratchit, I was like, Oh, it would have been funny to have like the Flight of the Concords guys as the charity collectors. And then I was starting to think, oh, okay, so like who were other like british comedy duo type characters that could fit in those roles and then i was like oh my gosh like the classic right i feel like those two play off each other really super well i think the audience would enjoy like the joke of it being them in these roles and this like cameo appearance um and i like both of them a lot and i think that out of all the roles in this show that can be played for a little bit of comedy like the charity collectors can be a little bit flustered like you can do it so they're my charity collectors
0: i think that makes a lot of sense and i but here's the question who says the um that some of them would rather die line nick frost yes yeah yeah Yes, because Simon Simon would be more you know stepping aside. Nick would be like going to punch a guy after that. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> like,
0: man, that's good, dude. That's really good. I like that. Man, I feel I feel like we are having very like we are go- we are going in opposite directions. But like Euclid said in the fifth principle, we're going to meet up again at some point later on because like these are yeah. still working. Like these still work. Yeah, definitely. Oh, uh,
1: I'm curious. You want to do one more?
0: Yeah, what the hell not? Let's go for three. Encore.
1: All right. So this one's going to be tricky. Prepare for it because uh, the last one we're going to do is Tiny Tim. Rule. So, so, so. Here- ru-
0: here- yeah, go ahead. Rule. We cannot cast any of the Tiny Tims we have actually seen already.
1: Yeah, I think that 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 goes without saying. So I think okay, we just... have to we have to be able to think like. Uh, my suggestion was going to be a actor who may not be a child now, but who had a career as a child actor.
0: Alrighty, I'm thinking. Um...
1: Alright, so continuing our very special three part casting carols uh, we're going to be casting Tiny Tim James who is your Tiny Tim
0: my Tiny Tim before he was Uncle Fester in Adam's family the original TV series he was the kid in Charlie Chaplin's the kids Jackie Coogan ladies and gentlemen
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. That, double that dipping. Wasn't,
0: that that wasn't even trying to double dip. That's just the... If you've seen Charlie Chaplin's The Kid and the no, that's No,
1: that's very good.
0: Like, he's tiny. He's a wonderful child actor. We know that he can do more vocal work because, yes, he was Uncle Fester on the Adds Family television series, the original one. So, good actor. Wonderful as a child performer. And could probably do whatever you need Tiny Tim to do in that role. Yeah. I think I think that might be actually the – Jack Coogan, in, in a lot of people's opinion, was like the boy, uh, uh, Shirley Temple, like could do anything right. as a mimic. And like I think it would be great casting.
1: Wow. Ooh. Classic.
0: Yeah, I, it's my favorite movie. The yeah. Kid, the kid yeah. is my favorite movie. So I was going to get Chaplin in there. That was bound to happen. And I'm actually shocked I hadn't thought about it until this very moment about Jackie. That's yeah, that's great. pretty
1: good. That's pretty good.
0: John, who is your Tiny Tim?
1: All right, my Tiny Tim. Getting our in our way back machine is going to be a Finding Neverland era Freddie Highmore, the Good Doctor himself.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So think about him in Finding Neverland, right? That scene at the end, at the funeral, where he's wow. crying and, and like, yep. all tiny and helpless. Like... I think that he would have been I'm kind of surprised that he never played Tiny Tim actually. I might have to go look and see if he did. He might have um,
0: voiceover work for it in a movie or something like that. But
1: even like physically like when he first started acting he was just like a very small boy actor who was very 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 good.
0: Yeah no, I I have I've never seen Finding Neverland. Um which I know, shocking for anybody that knows anything about me, but it just, was, it just at that moment, I wasn't watching that movie, you know? Yeah. So I never got yeah. on my radar. But I've seen bits of it, and I've seen yeah. his performance, and it's a solid performance. Yeah, so yeah,
1: really good. Never watched The Good Doctor, because... <laughs> no one, no one watches The Good Doctor. <laughs> I'm not going to get
0: into why me, a man with Asperger's, hated The Good Doctor, okay? Oof. I'm not going to get into the reason why I, a man with autism and Asperger's, hated The Good Doctor. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the reason why I felt insulted as a man with Asperger's and autism watching The Good Doctor. I never watched the episode. I'm actually, I really don't care. I'm yeah, fine.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah, fine. <laughs> I'm
1: fine. Well, yes. listeners... If you think you know who could play uh the charity collectors or Tiny Tim or the Ghosts of Christmas Future, uh we're making making up for lost <laughs> time on this one. Um That's a you hell are,
0: of a wait, let's pause. That's a hell of a sandwich of like of casts and carols. Like that yeah,
2: that's yeah.
0: like that's like big top butt. Needy yeah. middle. Huge underbutt. Like yeah, that's yeah. a sandwich.
1: That's almost a loaf of bread on the bottom, uh that, in terms of importance, right?
0: That's <laughs> yes indeed.
1: Uh, well you can reach out to us at Jacob at gmail.com or Marley is dead pod on Twitter, and you can reach out to us on Facebook if you want, but honestly, who uses Facebook anymore? No, sorry, um, it's meta
0: now, it's meta.
1: Oh yeah, me- I'm sorry, meta. Okay, you, can, okay. you can reach out to us on our future Overlord site um, through Facebook, which is owned by Meta. All
0: right, never mind. I'm going to pause here for a second because at Jimmy's Communist Corner, we're winning against these jerks right now. The strikes yeah. are on. We're John Deere strike, we just won that one. Amazon just got proved that they screwed around on their strike back in early January, so they're getting another vote. Starbucks is going to have a union vote soon. Workers of the world unite. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Cut that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and if you have any other thoughts, if there's a version of a Christmas carol you like in particular that um, uh, you have some thoughts about, reach out to us and we'll be happy to talk about them on the air. You know, one of these
0: days we're going to get an email or something like that. And we're going to read something on the air. One of these darn days.
1: One day, someday people will listen to this podcast. Oh, they um,
0: do. Yeah, we, hear, we know you're out there. We, you're, you're there. How do we know you're there?
1: Yeah. Unless you let us know. Right. Um, so some thank yous. Thank you to uh, Ben DeVries for our opening, closing and interstitial music. I never get tired of listening to it. No. Thank you to Milo Newman for our great uh, uh, podcast artwork thank you to uh the that's not canon productions podcast collective for having us as part of their team um we really enjoy being kind of in the company of such great podcasts. you can check out um all of the other shows in their in their collective uh on their patreon page or on youtube um Thank you, listeners, for, for sticking with us even after that long hiatus now that we're, we're getting out some more episodes for this holiday season. Um, we hope to be regularly updating between now and the end of December for your, for your holiday fix. And, uh, James, what can our listeners do to support us? They can leave us a five-star,
0: five-star, five-star... Five-star, five-star review. (laughs) 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 They can leave the five-star review because that is a way to support us, actually. I know it's a a silly thing. I know people, you hear it all the time on all the different YouTube channels. But it's what we really need to do. Because I don't understand the algorithm. You don't understand the algorithm. But the algorithm understands the algorithm. So give us those five-star reviews, please. Plank
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Was If hurt? you, if you enjoy us and you think we're doing a five-star job, give us that five-star review, please. <sighs> well, uh, next week we'll be concluding our conversation about, uh, this George C. Scott, of Christmas carol. So make sure that you are, are here. If you want to hear about, uh, my favorite ghost of Christmas present, I'm just going to say mm-hmm. it.
0: Oh, oh yes. But you, whew.
1: There's going to be a fighting for the crown at the next
0: week's episode. I'm just saying it right now. I think think so. Yeah, oh boy.
1: (laughs) Well, until that episode, James, as Tiny Tim observed, God God bless us.
0: Everyone.